Well, God is indeed good, and uh, we have indeed lived in his goodness um, every morning, including this morning, and I'm so grateful uh, for his goodness to me this morning. Uh, One of the evidences of God's goodness to me is you and my church family that I, I love and care for deeply. I'm so grateful to be able to worship with you again this morning. I'm glad we get to be together like this. And uh, speaking of being together, I just want to reiterate um, what Bryson said earlier. It is great to have all of our college students back again for the year this year. We are so glad to have you guys. I have to say this. Um, I want you to know, with college students, you're valued here. It is, um, it is different when you're not here. You bring a vibrancy and a life and um, uh, something about your presence here just makes our, our church different when you're here. So thank you for being here with us. We are glad that you're here. Welcome back. Um, we know that some of you college students are returning to our church. You've been here before. We know that some of you are new to our church here for the first time. And I also know that uh, you know some of you are here for the first time, but you're not college students. And I just want to say that if you're new with us today, I want to reiterate what Bryson said earlier. We are glad that you're here. We are a church that exists to help people become wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ who know him and make him known. And that's why we're here as a church, and we're glad that you're here as a church. If you're new with us today and you didn't get one of our little welcome bags, our gift bags that we give to those who are new, please make sure you stop by the info desk on your way out today and grab those. We have uh, wonderful gifts we'd like to give to you there, and just to take those as a blessing for you on your way out today, feel free to grab one. Um, But yeah, we are a church that exists to help people know Jesus and make him known. And uh, speaking of making him known, um, many of you know this, some of you may not, but since the fall of 2021, we have been in a generosity initiative called Make Him Known in our church. That basically means we've asked the church to give money to help us support the mission that we believe that God has called us to as we want to make him known in three particular ways. We want to make him known here among the people in our church. We want to make him known near uh, for people who are nearby in our community but not yet connected to our church. And then we want to make him known everywhere, wherever people are that don't yet know Christ and haven't heard the gospel. And so if you recall, back when we kicked off our Make Him Known initiative back in the fall of uh, 2021, we essentially um, initially presented to the church a financial goal of trying to raise $4.5 million by the end of 2023. And that was uh, a goal that was a stretch for me. It was a stretch for many of us. If you remember, you probably saw this little like bullet point target thing that we had uh, put out. This was our goal. $2.3 million to make him known here. 1.7 to make him known near. $500,000. We doubled our missions giving towards making him known everywhere. The goal was to raise $4.5 million by the end of 2023. If you remember, we asked the church to make commitments. And we said, pray about this. Make commitments. What is the Lord leading you to give? And some of you who were here in the fall of 2021, you might remember this little moment that we had in one of our church services, if we have that picture up and ready. You guys remember that? Brought the kiddos on stage. Caleb O'Neill fit right in, holding the comma, right? That was wonderful. Um, and the church committed to give $5.1 million. So that was strong uh, commitments from the church, and God was uniting our hearts together. Well, guys, today I have a great update. Listen to this. As of last Sunday, your giving allowed us to cross the $5.1 million threshold. Can we praise the Lord for that together? Yeah. So I'm just so thankful for that. I'm so thankful because your generosity, your stewardship, um, 
is being used by the Lord for many things. Now, here's what I know. As soon as I tell you that we crossed the $5.1 million, some of you are like, awesome, I don't have to give any more money. That's great. All right. Only a few of you, of course. Uh, Then others of you are immediately going to be business-minded, and you're going to be thinking like, okay, well, now that we've crossed the $5.1 million target, what are we going to do now with all the rest of the money that comes in by the end of 2023? I just wanted to tell you, we are going to communicate that to the church in our worship services in the future, and especially in our members' meetings in the future. So we will be providing you with updates. Today, I really just wanted to share the good update with you um, and say thank you for being a generous church. Your giving is making a difference. Um, you know, we talk about the, the types of differences that it's making. When we started the Make Him Known initiative, if I'm remembering correctly, I think we had five missions partners that we were supporting. Guys, as of right now, we have 17 mission partners that we are supporting with many more who are going through the vetting process. So we praise the Lord for that. Your, as Bryson mentioned before, you know, your giving has allowed us to not just build the auditorium here, but to also remodel our old sanctuary and turn it into our kids' chapel area. That, you know how many kids have been coming to our kids' programs for the past month or so? We've had, on average, just about 200 children in our services from preschool through fifth grade each week. Your giving allows us to minister to them. Not only that, but your giving also allows us to see people who commit their lives to Jesus and then go public with their faith through uh, the act of baptism. So far in 2023, we have seen 36 people go through the baptism waters, and we are also working with several more who plan to be baptized here in the coming months. And so we praise the Lord for all of that. We are, yeah, we... As we just sang, we are absolutely living in the goodness of God, and all glory belongs to Him. So today, um, we start out by giving God praise and thanks for all of that. Today, we're also going to be kicking off a new sermon series that we're calling Connected. And the whole point of this Connected series is we want to reiterate the biblical teaching that we as God's people do the Christian life better together. We do better together. Um, Let me tell you a couple things about this new sermon series that we're that we're going to be starting. Um, First, let me tell you about the what. What will be covered in this series? Here's what's going to happen. This is going to be a four-week series. In each of our uh, sermons, we're going to be covering sections of Scripture that emphasize the importance of Christians doing life together, the importance of Christian community. We're going to see how God designed His church to live in fellowship with one another. And each Sunday, we're not only going to be, you know, exploring scripture passages together, but each Sunday, you're also going to hear a testimony video from people from our church who are actually living in that design that God has put together for church to live connected in community. And I just want to say, like, these videos that you're going to see, they're not canned videos that we downloaded off some church website somewhere. They're not like we wrote out a script and then gave it to our people and said, hey, you know, you know, read it this way. And, you know, these are our people sharing their hearts, their real lives, UBC members talking about real life stories um, about what God's doing. So the Connected series, here's what it is. It's biblical teaching on church community. It is people's experience in church community. That's what we're going to cover in this series. Now, how about the why? Why are we doing this? We are doing this series because we believe God designed us to be the church together. Guys, we aren't, we're not just called to religiously go to church. We are called to relationally be the church. We believe that everyone needs someone 
to help them wholeheartedly follow Jesus. So many of you can think back on your past and you can probably remember people who have come alongside you and helped you follow Christ. Maybe you have been uh, an alongside or along someone else and helped them follow Christ. Some of you right now are really longing to find that person that you can invest in and help bring along in their faith. Some of you are sitting here going, I would love someone to be alongside me in my faith. I would love to have somebody beside me. Listen, We believe that God designed his church to be in relationships with one another. So we believe that we will know and follow Jesus better together than we ever could do apart. That's why we're doing this series. So if you have your Bible today, I want to invite you to take it now and open to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. And again, today, as we talk about we do better together, Today, I want to talk to you about how we do church life better together. So this is kind of a high-level, foundational, introductory, kind of general sermon to get the series kicked off. In future weeks, we're going to get into more specifics and particulars of the things that we do better together in the Christian life. But today, we're going to see kind of this introductory thought that we do church life better together. Let me start out with a, a quick little story about two brothers. And let me just say right from the beginning, these two brothers are not named Jason and Phil Wing, okay? These, <laughs> these two brothers are uh, James and Alexander Campbell. These two brothers were born in Scotland in the 1800s. In the 1850s, they, knew, they moved to America in search of a new life in this land. James ended up settling in Charleston, South Carolina. Alexander ended up settling in New York. By the 1860s, both of them had joined militia groups that ended up getting involved in the, civil, the American Civil War. The problem is, the brothers ended up on two different sides of the conflict. Alexander's militia ended up joining with the Union. James's um, militia ended up joining with the Confederates. And throughout the war, you know, Neither of them really knew where the other person was, right? It's not like you can just pick up the phone, make a call, send a text message, shoot a social media message. Like, obviously, they had to correspond through letters either to each other or to family. And they never really knew exactly where their brother was, but they did find out that they were in the opposing armies. They knew that their armies were actually getting closer and closer together, and they became aware that they would end up fighting each other at some point. And eventually, these two brothers did end up fighting, literally fighting, in the same battle together at Secessionville, South Carolina. At one point in the war, Alexander wrote a letter to his wife. And in that letter to his wife, he, he talked about his brother. And here's what he said. He said, we are not far from each other now. And there was never a war like this before brother against brother. You imagine being in a civil war against your brother? I kind of felt like that's what it was with me and Phil growing up like our whole life. But like, in all seriousness, an actual war against your brother where you are, you know that you are potentially going to go eye to eye, toe to toe, muzzle to muzzle, bayonet to bayonet with your brother. Family isn't intended to be at war with each other like that. Family isn't intended to be divided like that. But yet, from time to time in our world, it happens. We live in a world where it happens right now. In fact, guys, isn't it true? 
we are about to enter into one of the most divisive seasons of life that we experience in the American culture today. And no, I'm not talking about election season. I'm talking about football season. <laughs> All right? Football season is about to be a pump throughout the American culture. Um, in all seriousness, we really do live in a, a culture that, where the church can be easily divided, don't we? I mean, it seems like there are polarizing issues like at every turn. Things like black or blue, who are you backing? Kneel or stand, what are you going to do? Republican or Democrat, how are you going to vote? And in these polarizing matters, it is far too easy for the church to be sinfully divisive. And it happens all the time. We've seen it happen in our culture. You've probably experienced it in your own life. And the question that is before us today is this. Is there something that can bring the church together? Is there something that is deeper than the color of our skin? Is there something that is stronger than our party affiliation? Is there something that is more important than our national uh, citizenship? Because as important as those things are, and those of you guys who know me, you know that I think all of those things are important. As important as those things are, the question is, is there something that can still bring the church together? And the answer from the Bible is a resounding yes. Except, it's not a something, it's a someone. And that someone is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will bring his church together. Now, before some of you roll your eyes or write this off as just kind of pleasantries and kind of nice things to say, but maybe it's, you think of it as kind of a naive statement or something. Let me, let me just say that today, um, I am asking you today to believe what the Bible says about your Christian identity. Right? This is an identity question that the Bible answers for us today that I want us to get into together, and we're going to have to choose whether we believe it or not. If you're a Christian, then the Bible teaches that part of your identity is that you are in Christ. Right? This is part of who you are. You are in Christ. Um, this idea of, of union with Christ it's not really preached about or spoken about or taught much in our American culture today, but this was one of the most precious doctrines of Scripture, according to the Puritans and many of the believers who came generations before us. Do you know that the Bible um, talks about believers being in Christ or in Him or with Him? You know that the Bible, the New Testament, references that part of the believer's identity over 180 times. Right, this isn't just kind of some kind of side topic. This is like a re-emphasized theme throughout the New Testament. Over 180 times, the New Testament speaks of a believer's identity as being in Christ. This is part of who we are. I'm asking you today to embrace that part of our theology, a part of our identity as the church. So with that kind of concept in mind of, of who we are, our identity, Here's what I want to do today. I want to talk to you about the identity of the church. I want to talk to you about our identity as a church. And I want you to leave here today believing this. We're thinking about getting connected. We're talking about doing better together. Here's what I want you to leave here believing today. 
It's that doing church life better together starts with remembering who we are. That's our main idea for today. Doing church life better together starts with remembering who we are. Today we're going to look at just a few passages from Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. And as we do, we're going to see three biblical ways that our identity as the church is presented in scripture. We're going to see how each of these ways connects us to Jesus and to each other. And then we'll end with some practical application questions for us to consider. But again, the truth that I want you to leave here believing today is this. Doing church life better together starts with remembering who we are. So let's look at scripture, Ephesians chapter one. And the first thing that we're going to see is that scripture shows us first that the church is a family, right? We are a family, um, which before we even read the passage from Ephesians 1, let's not forget about the context into which uh, Ephesians 1 was written. Ephesians 1, written by the Apostle Paul, two believers in the city of Ephesus. You might remember that from our uh, year and a half study in the book of Acts. Um, But the church in Ephesus was made up of Two main types of people, Jews and Gentiles. And historically speaking, Jews and Gentiles did not view each other as family. They viewed each other as enemies. And yet Paul writes to them as we see, and he wants them to see and believe and understand that their identity now, despite their historical differences, their identity now is as a family. Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 6 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Guys, uh, What I want you to see right away is I want you to see the family language here. I want you to see this this family language. He talks about God as father in verse 3. In verse 5, he talks about how the church has been adopted as sons. That's family language. He refers to them as their uh, being part of the beloved, right? That's loving, relational language in the scripture. Paul is telling these Jews and Gentiles who find themselves in the Ephesian church, he's saying, hey, Church, you are God's family. You're connected. Even if you haven't really liked each other much in the past. Right? And this, this is just one passage in Ephesians. There are numerous passages in the New Testament that refer to the Christian's identity as being part of the family of God. 2 Corinthians 6.18 speaks of us being God's sons and daughters. 1 John 3 verse 14 through 18 talks about Believers viewing each other as siblings. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, talks about us as being part of God's household, his family. So the church is God's family, and guys, we're in it. Praise the Lord, we're in it, right? Um, I love how he speaks of, in Ephesians 1, of the church being people who were predestined by God for adoption to himself. Adoption. A few weeks ago, I was able to go to the Greene County Courthouse to see another child adopted into a UBC family. Um, and I love it every time I go. If you've, 
If you've never been to a setting like that, here's what happens. The adoptive family comes in. They, you know, the child they intend to adopt comes in with them. They come to this, into a room and their other you know, children and, and family members and support community is there with them. And then you know, in comes the judge and there's all these formalities that have to happen. But eventually what happens uh, is that the, the judge inevitably makes some sort of declaration that the child now belongs to the adoptive parents. And every time I've gone to one of these, the judge has said something like this. Mom and dad, this child is now yours. He is your child in every way, as if he's been yours all along. And it hits me in the heart every single time. Because it's such a beautiful picture of the gospel, right? People in the room know that child has not been the adoptive parent's child all along. But the child has been chosen and the judge has declared it so. And now this child has been brought into the family. Treated like family in every way. Guys, what a beautiful picture of the church. You and I were not born into God's family. We were born separated from God's family. Yet, God in his great love has adopted us as his sons and daughters. He chose us to be his, like an adoptive family just setting their heart's affections on a child. Child had done nothing to earn that. In the same way, you and I have done nothing to earn the father's love. He just sets his affections on us and says, you're mine. And we get him as our father. We get the church as our family. Why? Simply because of the love and declaration of God. Here's the thing. Yes, we as the church are the family of God, but we couldn't even be the family of God apart from Jesus. Think about the language that's used here in Ephesians 1. Verse 3 says that we are blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing, right? So that adoption as sons, being part of the beloved, right? That, that blessing has come to us in Christ, God chose uh, us in him, verse 4 says, in Jesus before the foundation of the world. Verse 5 says we were adopted as sons through Jesus. In other words, when we become Christians, we become in Christ. We are joined to Christ. Not, and, and what that means is that God accepts us, not because we are so acceptable, but because Jesus is so acceptable. Because Jesus accepts his, because God accepts his son, God accepts us because we are in the son. So through Jesus, we become God's children. Through Jesus, the church is God's family. It's our first identity concept that's brought out in Ephesians chapter 1. The second one that we're going to see here in Ephesians is that the church isn't just a family. The church is a body. The church is a body. We are a body. So Paul makes this point as he continues on in Ephesians 1. If you have your Bible open still, just drop your eyes down to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. It says this about God. It says that he, God the Father, put all things under his feet, talking about Jesus, and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So 
Paul is saying that the church is the body of Christ, right? Christ is the head. He's over it. He is in charge. He has the authority. He leads the way. He sets the vision, right? And so we are under the headship of Christ as his body in the church. Now, this idea of the church being the body of Christ, this isn't the only passage in the New Testament that brings that part of our identity forward. We also read about it in Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We read about the body of Christ in other places like Colossians chapter 1. So this is a biblical concept, part of our identity. We need to see ourselves as the church as an interconnected body made up of body parts. So when you think about the body and body parts, um, you know it's a, we're interconnected, right? It's obvious. So if, imagine if one of my body parts decided that it just wanted to try and detach itself from the body. Like, it would be painful for my body if my finger just decided it was going to try to rip itself apart. It would not let my body function well if my finger wanted to be detached from the body. Uh, we also know this. The detached body part would eventually not do well either. It would wither and kind of shrink up and, and, and die out, right? So my body would suffer if the parts were detached and the detached part would suffer when it was apart from the body. So what I want you to really understand is that God made us to be connected with each other and when we're not, the body's gonna struggle and so are the detached parts. If you're not really connected to in the body of Christ, living in fellowship as God designed you to be, then there's gonna be some dysfunction and some pain there's going to be some longing in your soul, maybe a withering of your soul saying, oh, I think I was made for something more. Yeah, you were. You were made to be connected to the body of Christ. So the church is a body. But we're not just talking about us and how we are connected to each other. We're talking about how we ultimately find our connection in Jesus. And that's why it's so important for us to remember in the body of Christ that Jesus is the head of his church. Um, Christ is the head. This is, this, is why, um, this is why a church needs to acknowledge and remember and live under the headship of Christ. Because as grotesque as this picture is, what happens to a, a human body if there's a decapitation? A body with no head is dead. And a church that starts to live apart from the headship of Christ is going to die. There will be no life in this church if we don't acknowledge and surrender to and rejoice in the headship of Jesus over his church. So we want to recognize that we are a body under the headship of Christ. The church is a body through Jesus. Now, Ephesians has shown us the church as a family. The church, Ephesians has shown us the church as a body. Ephesians also shows us this part of our identity. It shows us that we are a temple. Ephesians also shows us that we are a temple. Now, I want to be careful about this because through the years, and especially once we started this building project here, what have we said all along? We've said, look, guys, we got to remember, like, the church is not a building, we can build a building, and if it just sits here empty, like, it's not the church. Why? Because the church is people. But the people of the church are presented here in Ephesians chapter 2 uh, through the metaphor of a building 
with parts and structure. And we're going to see that here in Ephesians 2. Look at verse uh, 19 through 22 of Ephesians 2. It says, Paul writes, he says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So again, Paul is speaking to, he's writing to Jews and Gentiles and people who have historically kind of hated each other and their ethnicities and their cultural backgrounds. And Paul is now writing to them and he starts out by saying, look guys, you're not strangers. You're not aliens. In other words, you're not disconnected from each other. In the church, it's not like some of you belong and some of you don't. He's saying, you Jews and Gentiles, you are fellow citizens. You are saints in God's household. He's saying, you're connected. And then he gives this building illustration. And he, he says that, like any building, there's a foundation. And he says that the foundation of the church was laid by the apostles and the prophets. And he says that there's... Uh, a structure that's being built up. Ever since the time of the apostles and prophets, the church is being built like a building being built. There's a structure that's being built. And I love that, you know, again, this isn't just like Pauline theology. It's not like Paul's the only one who talks like this. Um, Peter also writes like this in his epistle. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, Peter writes and he says, uh, In verse 5, actually, he says that you, the church, you are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house, like a temple. So every believer who has ever existed, you know, is like one piece of a temple. Everyone who's ever trusted in Christ is like one more piece of the structure. One by one, Christian by Christian, believer by believer, follower of Jesus by follower of Jesus, God is building up his church. So when you walk outside of this building today, you're gonna, you can look around our new auditorium and you can see that down toward the base, there are, there's kind of a, a base of, of bricks that are there. And those bricks are put there in, on purpose, side by side, very intentionally laid there. When you see these bricks built on the foundation, here's what I'm kind of hoping that you'll, you'll be reminded of. I hope you see those and you're like, you know what? That's me. I'm, I'm, I'm just a brick, right? Uh, I am purposefully placed alongside other bricks for the building of the church that God has been putting together since the time that the apostles and prophets laid the foundation. Together, we are the temple, the house of God, his dwelling place. So believers, we are connected together like bricks in a building that make up a dwelling place, a place for the Lord through his spirit to live within us. But again, here's the thing. Just like a building doesn't get formed ultimately by one brick. Uh, The church really isn't, its trajectory, its future, it's not set by any one of us. The future, the building, the development of the church is all dependent upon Jesus. Jesus told his disciples, I will build my church. That's why here in 
Ephesians 2. Paul is writing and he says that the church is like a temple and Jesus is its what? Its cornerstone. So the truth is that you and I have our place in the church because of Jesus. Like a cornerstone sets the trajectory and sets the manner in which every other stone is going to find its place. That's what Jesus does with us. Each one of us is part of the masterpiece that God is building, but without Jesus, none of us would ever be able to have a place here. So through Jesus, Paul is saying, the church should understand itself as a temple. So just to kind of summarize everything we've been saying so far, what's the big idea? The big idea that I want you to leave here believing today, the theology I want you to take home, is that doing church life better together starts with remembering who we are. And Ephesians has shown us, here's who we are. We are a family. We are a body. We are a temple. So I have to ask you today to think about, like, how are you taking your place in the temple? How are you side by side among other bricks being part of the structure that the Lord is building called the church? Uh, Where are you using your gifts in the body for the functioning of the church, you know? Where is that happening for you? Uh, If the church is a family, um, with whom are you connected where you are giving and receiving uh, love with one another, right? Ephesians has shown us that we are those things, a temple, a family, and a body. But Ephesians has also shown us that we are only those things because we are in Christ. It's all dependent upon Jesus. So remember the original question that I asked you guys at the start of this sermon. The original question was, is there something that can bring the church together in a world, in a culture that wants to tear us apart? And the answer that we've seen from the Bible today is an absolute yes. Jesus brings us together in a world that wants to divide us apart. We don't have to live divided in the church of Christ. And we certainly don't want to live like brothers in the midst of a civil war. Right? That's not God's design. He designed us to live united in Christ. United around Jesus, the truth of Christ, the truth that Jesus taught. When we rally around Jesus and his word and his truth and his person, we will live united as the family of God. Now, two takeaways I want to close with. Simple takeaways for you to think about at the beginning of this series. First of all, most important takeaway of the day, you need to be connected to Jesus. You need to be connected to Jesus. Um, listen, uh, some of you religiously attend church, but you are not relationally engaged with Jesus. You may have attended church your whole life, but you've never had that moment where you have recognized that you're a sinner, separated from God, but you've wanted to be united to him, and and you've never had that time where you've realized, oh, the way that I get united to the Lord, where he comes into my life and I enter into his life, the way that that happens is by repenting of my sin, believing in Jesus Christ, who was crucified, buried, and rose again for the forgiveness of my sins. You've never had that moment. You may have gone to church your whole life, but you have never had that moment where you've repented and gone from being disconnected to Christ to becoming in Christ. And if 
that's you. That's where you need to start. You need to be in Christ, and praise be to God, the scripture tells us, you can be in Christ. So if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, let today be the day where you trust in Jesus and become connected to him through faith. That's where it starts. Second takeaway is this. If you are connected to Jesus, then go home knowing this. You are made to be connected to other believers. You're made for this. This is who God has made you to be. He didn't make you to be kind of an isolated, lone ranger Christian just kind of doing life on your own. He made you to be part of the temple, to be part of the family, to be part of the body. So as the temple, you are made to have a place in the structure to take your place alongside other believers built on the foundation that the the apostles and prophets laid around the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. It's what God has made you to be. He's As part of the body, he's made you to be a functioning body part that helps the church function and grow and mature. As part of the church family, God made you to live as sons and daughters and brothers and sisters in his family to not only like give love to the church, but also to receive the love of the church. This is part of what God has made you. This is part of how God has made you to be. So if you are connected to Jesus then you are made to be connected to the church. And just to give you kind of a little glimpse into the beauty and the value of church life together, I want you to hear on this video from my friends, Drew and Melissa Clemens. I was pretty stagnant when I was in my 20s, um, thinking that church was a place that you went. I did not think of church as something that I that I was, that I was part of the church. And honestly, it was being part of a small group that helped me to see this cultural church thing that I'd been a part of all my life, which wasn't a bad thing, you know, going on a Sunday and all that. It wasn't bad, but it was just a fraction of what I was meant to experience as the, the body of Christ. I mean, that continues today in our in our current growth group. Our current growth group is highly impacted by the idea that we should be living out um, our faith and we should be we should be practicing the one another's of scripture, confessing our sins to one another and caring for one another, comforting one another, bearing one another's burdens, showing each other hospitality. And that's what the church is supposed to be. When it comes to the relationships um, within our growth group, you really do live life together. like the good, the bad, and the ugly. People can come in as they are. And you know, we know that we can do that in the corporate church setting, but especially in a smaller group, in a growth group setting. People come in after really hard days and they come in, you know, exhausted, but we can be who we are. And and I think that's a really important part of a healthy growth group community that you can see that in each other and meet people where they are. We have seen Uh, how much we impact one another and build one another up simply by doing life together, whether it's discussing a sermon from last Sunday. Have those relationships where you can have those important conversations with those folks. One of the things that I love about it is is how multi-generational it's been um, and the impact that it has uh, on our kids all the time. I think one thing that we've learned is to not underestimate what the Lord can do with the children in your growth group and also through the children no matter what ages they are because we've 
we've kind of seen all of it at this point. And you know, when they're little, it's a lot of holding babies and controlled chaos. And we've had other seasons where we had a lot of like elementary kids and middle school kids, and we had lesson times and lesson plans. And um, I think the most important part is that the kids in your growth group see the adults loving each other and loving Jesus and trying to teach the kids that same thing at whatever stage they are. There is a certain vulnerability. Uh, I mean, we've talked about the vulnerability of letting people come into your home, but I realize that there's a vulnerability in going into somebody else's home. There might be a level of awkwardness that makes you second guess going back. Um, but I've always encouraged people, I mean, for years I've encouraged people like, do it two or three times, please. Like give it, give it a chance. Um, don't just assume because the first time is awkward that that group is not going to work or no group is going to work. Um, I mean, there are a lot of things you try in life that are really hard the first time because they're different and they're unusual and they make you uncomfortable, but that doesn't mean that you should walk away from them. We do church life better together. Church life has to be together in order to actually be church life. life has to be together in order to be church life. That's a powerful statement, and it really causes us to think about how we are living life together. Are we living life together? Are we truly connected to other believers? I love this video because I've known many of the people in that group for a long time, and they really love each other, <laughs> and they are there for each other, and they are committed to each other, and they know that church life is done better together than it is alone. And that is the type of life, that life in community, that can be ours when we embrace our identity connected in Christ. Last week, uh, I asked all of you guys who were here to complete a little online survey right in the middle of the service. And that survey gave us some good information, just some bullet points of a summary of the, the data we got back. That survey showed us that about 75% of the people in our church consider themselves connected to someone, somewhere, that's helping them follow Jesus. It also showed us that of that 75%, about three-fourths of them are not only connected, but practicing transparency and being vulnerable and honest and confessing sin and praying for one another and keeping it real. It also showed us this, that about half of them are finding that connection with someone else in our church. Some people are finding it with people outside of our church, but about half are finding it with people in our church. I have to say, those statistics pleasantly surprised me. I didn't expect them to be that high, but I praise the Lord that they are because it shows that there is a maturity and a, a growing value for Christian community in our church, and I love to see that. It, that data also means this. It means that there are still hundreds of you who come to our church each weekend who aren't yet connected and you're especially not connected in such a way where there is transparency, vulnerability, truly helping each other wholeheartedly follow Jesus. But I want you to be connected that way. Our church leadership wants you to be connected that way. I, God made you to be connected that way, right? So over the next three weeks, you're going to hear about the practical steps that you can take, the ways in which you can start to get connected, 
whether it's joining a group or leading a group or just hearing more about the different types of groups that we are going to be putting together in our church. And I hope that as a result of this sermon series, I hope that we see hundreds more people in our church get connected into meaningful discipleship, community-based relationships. Because why? Because everyone needs someone to help them wholeheartedly follow Jesus. We do the Christian life better together than we do alone. We aren't made to just rela- like religiously go to church. We are made to relationally be the church. And doing church life better together starts with remembering who we are. The temple, the body, the family. Connected to Jesus, connected to each other. That's who we are. Let's live in light of who we are. Lord, we get challenged by your word sometimes. Sometimes we just need fresh reminders. So Lord, maybe there are people here today who for the first time are actually being persuaded by your word that you truly have designed us to not just be Lone Ranger Christians, but to live as part of the family. I pray, Lord, that as you open our eyes to see our identity as the church, that you would help us to take action on that and live, uh, take steps towards living according to the way that you've designed. So, Lord, as we start to go forward in this sermon series for the next few weeks, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts how you want us to respond to following you together as the church. And, Lord, I pray for anybody here today who specifically isn't connected to your church because really they're not connected to you. And Lord, if there are people here who have never been joined to Christ, they have never come into Christ through faith, I pray that today you would open their spiritual eyes, let them see their need to be forgiven of their sins, to repent and believe in Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, risen, coming again for the forgiveness of their sins and for the redemption of all who believe. And I pray that today they may become part of your family joined to Christ. Jesus, we thank you that you are our head. We trust you. We praise you as our cornerstone. We want to align around you. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for giving God as our heavenly Father and that we have been adopted into your family. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.